Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Well, today on the podcast, I've got a really exciting guest. He's back for his second time being a guest on the show, and we're going to be talking about adding offense to your singles game in tennis. It's going to be a really good discussion, and let's go ahead and get right to it. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. My guest today on the Essential Tennis Podcast is Dave the Kaz Kozlowski. Kaz, welcome back to the show. I'm really happy to have you back on the podcast. Ian, always a pleasure. Great, great to be here with you this evening. And I know you have a great topic, so I'm eager to get going with it. Awesome. Well, I, I want to welcome you back to the program. Uh, the Kaz was a guest on the Essential Tennis Podcast for episode number 108. And for those of you listening, if you haven't heard that episode, definitely go to the podcast archives and download it. We talked about power versus control for the recreational player in that episode, and we discussed why control is so important for those of you listening. We discussed things like rhythm and being able to maintain a a steady rally back and forth and I, I think, I mean, not only not only was the topic, I, I think, excellent for us to talk about, Kaz, but what really shone through for myself, and I've heard this over and over from my listeners, uh, your, your enthusiasm and passion for the game was um, just electric, and it was really fun to listen to. So I'm, I'm really happy to have you back on the program. You are so kind, my friend, but let me tell you, I'm only as good as the audience allows me to be. And only as good as a host brings out of me. So you brought it out, and the audience was very attentive. But indeed, we did. We talked about control first, and then some power and some offense coming second. But it's so important to get that repeatable and dependable shot that you can hit the same swing, the same type of rhythm, the same tempo time after time, so you get the shot grooved. Now you got this audience very excited about adding some offense. And what I think is very important that they realize that offense doesn't only have to come with power. It can certainly come with change of spin and change of speed, adding a slice to your game. And let's not forget the impact that drop shots have on the tennis game, especially at the 3-5 level where it's difficult to change direction and get to a drop shot. We saw a lot of drop shots coming from Paris the last couple of weeks. We're going to see a lot of drop shots coming from the Wimbledon Championships because they will be drop shotting just as much on grass as they did on clay because the bounce stays low. But what does a drop shot do for the average player at a club level? Well, it throws off the rhythm of the opponent. First of all, you make the opponent come in. Sometimes that opponent may not like to be in the forecourt, may not like to be at the net, and all of a sudden you're testing the volleys. Plus, by bringing somebody in on a drop shot, it adds to your confidence. When you have a target at the net, your passing shots are supplemented. All of a sudden, you feel, I've got confidence. I've got more trust in my shots. I can pass that player at the net. So let's not overlook the importance of a drop shot. 
along with the drop shot. Once you get a player in there, let's throw in a lob. So you hit a drop shot, then you hit a lob, and all of a sudden you're getting offense to your game. You're getting scoring opportunities without relying on slug power only. And it's so important to add to these shots to your game. You know that there are a lot of opponents that you can beat in singles, especially on the female gender. And I'm not <laughs> distinguishing men from women in match play. It's, it's even, but a lot of women don't like to run forward and then have to backpedal. So if you have a drop shot, Ian, and follow it up with a lob, that is offense personified. You have offense glorified there, and you can get a lot of mileage out of two little simple shots. A drop shot followed up by a lob. Well, that, it's really interesting that you, you bring up the point that offense and aggression doesn't necessarily have to equal power in, in hitting the ball hard. And I think that's definitely a, a misconception among uh, today's recreational players who, who watch modern professional tennis on TV. And uh, no doubt you, you have to have weapons at, at that level and you need to have a certain level of pace to your shots. And, I, and we talked in, in episode 108 about how so often recreational players these days try to copy that uh, to their own detriment. Um, and, and we're definitely going to, to get into a variety and how that can help uh, the, the question asker for today's uh, show. And let's go ahead and get into his uh, question. His name is AJ Glenn. AJ, how are you? Let's hear this question. <laughs> so AJ wrote to me and said, I'm about a 3.5 player and play two to three times per week. I'm really trying to up my consistency with my strokes and get away from the all or bust type of game where I really go for too many winners. I have been doing a lot of work on the wall and have gotten my consistency up quite a bit over the past few months. However, in my matches, my consistency doesn't really put me on the offensive side of the ball, and I find myself playing a lot more defensive than I would like. I end up running a lot throughout the match, and by the end, I have nothing left. What can I do to find that blend of consistency that doesn't always put me on the defense? When should I go for the aggressive play? So, well, excuse me, I'm, I'm sorry. No Did you finish that statement? <laughs> well, I ba- basically you had me all you, you had me all excited about this wall. <laughs> I want to mention that as soon as you're finished, that I did not mean to interrupt. So, no, no please, uh, no. I was I was croaching in on your uh, territory there. Pardon me. No, not at all, Kaz. I just wanted to say that basically I'd like to split this conversation up into two main categories. Number one, when is it appropriate for a recreational level player to start working on offense? And then number two, how does the recreational player start to achieve this? We've already thrown out a couple of ideas there. Let's, um, we'll tell you what, go ahead and run with that, Kaz, because I, I agree. I was, I was excited myself when I read that, that uh, a recreational player would actually take the time and concentration necessary to, to hit against a, a wall. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about how good a practice that is? Well, I will tell you this, and this is kind of sounding corny, but anything coming from the Kaz at times can sound corny, but <laughs> where there is a wall... Ladies and gentlemen, tennis fans, there is a way because there's insurmountable practice and skills that you can gain from hitting against the wall. And Monica Sellis, the seven-time slam, nine-time slam champion, would spend a minimum of two hours a day hitting against the wall. Now, this was in addition to road work, playing several sets 
a day doing a number of conditioning and, and drills on the court, but she would supplement it with hitting against the wall. And there's, there's no better practice area to work on getting confidence to hit passing shots. So this guy's on the right track. Keep on the wall. Make that part of your weekly supplement to your game. Now, let's talk about this offense. Many players are equipped to give their opponent chances to lose. Very few players, and we're actually talking even at the high level, high college, uh, even uh, in the, the respectable pro level, they're not always equipped to beat their opponent, but they're equipped to give their opponent a chance to lose. So early in the points, you've got to take the, you've got to take the perspective, I want to play investment tennis. I'm willing to hit three, four shots. I want to work hmm. the points. I'm going to give this guy a chance to lose before I try to go for one-strike tennis, meaning mm-hmm. get that ball and try to hit a winner. That's overly aggressive for most players. You still have to give the opponent some opportunity to lose. Now, on the other hand, I heard this guy, AJ, saying that he's not able to have the offense because the guy's running him around. And you want to take the point, uh, you want to take the perception, that is, that you're trying to orchestrate this point. You're trying to set it up. You're trying to build the point. So you're hitting slightly wide shots to either side, making the opponent run and hoping that he coughs up a short ball. Then the options start to arise where you have a chance to hit an approach winner, perhaps an approach short ball to set it up that you're going in to terminate it with a volley or that drop shot that we talked about. So those options are available if you move the opponent early in the point, but you're not necessarily trying to win the point. You're not trying to conclude the point or terminate it on the first shot. You're not going out trying to play first strike winners so that you're willing mentally and physically, you have the patience, you have the prudence to try to set it up, and perhaps he'll contribute to your funds. He may cough up some outright unforced winners, unforced errors rather, before you have a chance to try to terminate it yourself. So my advice always is try to keep the ball in play. Give him a chance to make some errors. Then when the opportunity occurs, you try to strike. And you may not even go after an outright winner. What you're trying to do is to put him more in an awkward spot, maybe run him wider to the side with some short-angle cross courts, trying to hit the ball deep so that he coughs up that short ball that you can eventually attack. So the the key is to have a combination of some patience along with some prudence. And that prudence, Ian, Ian, many times just includes knowing the right shot to hit at that time, going with the shot selection. And there are times where the ball actually puts you on defense. And the trick is to be as smart as Federer is and as talented as Federer is. When he's on defense, He's, at one, he's one of the best coming up with a shot that is going to next put his opponent in an awkward position. That doesn't mean hitting a winner. It means having the ability to perhaps dump the ball at the opponent's feet as he's coming in, where he's at, in the middle of the court. So you find a way to make it awkward for the opponent. Is that getting offense out of your game? You better believe it is. So it's, it's a combination of knowing when you're in that ability to go for something big and when you're in the location that you may be better going for something in a more moderate 
type of offensive shots. Good stuff, Kaz. And let's take that one step further and and get really specific. And, and you're talking about being patient on the court. I, I like how you how you use the word uh, orchestrate, uh, it, it kind of to to conduct the points and and be able to work your opponent back and forth, which which does take patience uh, to be able to do that without going for the out, outright winner uh, too quickly. Um, and you're talking about waiting for errors from your opponent. And lastly, you you were discussing waiting for an opportunity to be able to make your opponent uncomfortable or catch them off balance, not necessarily through power. Now, let's talk a little bit, or I'd like to hear your thoughts on, uh, keep, and keeping in mind that AJ is a 3-5 player. Oh, which, that's, that's, uh, that's respectable, and he can play with 85% of the people that are playing tennis out absolutely. there. Absolutely. So uh, that's, that's applaudable right there. Yeah, uh, yeah, no doubt. And yeah, that puts them uh, above average for uh, recreational tennis players, which uh, definitely is outstanding. Uh, keep, keeping in mind his, his uh, ability level, what should he be looking for in terms of opportunities? Um, when, when he goes out to play a match and when the rest of my listeners go out to play a match and they're uh, around a 3-5 level, um, what, do, what does opportunity look like at, at that level? What should they be looking for? Well, I think a lot of times the all-court game separates levels of play, and oftentimes at the, let's say, 3-0 level, they're able to volley very well close to the net, but their volleys go down, their confidence goes down, they're not as comfortable as they start to volley from the midcourt, and it's imperative that players who want to go to that 4-0 and above level that they learn how to hit volleys from all over the court. That means tempered volleys from defense at the service line, along with high volleys at the baseline, instead of letting the ball drop in and bounce over their head, Mm -hmm. that they're able to come in and pop it deep. Maybe if it's floating and they're able to move forward, they take a more offensive stroke volley swing at it. But you know, Ian, I think one of the keys is that oftentimes players don't really supplement enough underspin to their game. Everybody is so caught up on hitting heavy topspin and topspin, I, in fact, I try to avoid the word topspin and just try to refer to it as adding more gravity to the shot because mm. basically the club player is going to obtain sufficient topspin by starting low and finishing higher than where he started. Of course, the higher he comes up, the more quickly he comes up, the more added gravity he puts on the ball as we refer to it in the industry as topspin. But instead of trying to generate topspin by trying to turn the wrist and flip the racket and trying to make topspin happen, just get into a confident mode of starting low, finishing high, and you need the shot. You need the shot for short angles. You need the shot to bounce the ball up higher to get it in an unfavorable strike zone for the opponent. But it's also time to spend some time on your tennis career adding a underspin. And what happens oftentimes, those who start hitting only flat or hitting only topspin, or let's just say hitting topspin initially, that's about the extent of their game. They can only hit topspin and they can't flatten out on the short ball or on the low short ball. They have trouble because they haven't learned how to slice. The best advice you can give yourself is to try to explore all these shots. Look at how the underslice is hit, the value of coming under the ball and getting that rub wipe across the ball 
and the action that the ball picks up. And it's important that you add these early because I know for a fact there are some very accomplished players at even a higher level at 4045 that can't hit the underspin. And they used to talk about Yvonne Lendl when he played on grass. He looked like someone wearing a black tie outfit, wearing a tux, but wearing brown shoes. And it's almost the <laughs> same. They, they can hit excessive topspin at the baseline, but when it comes into hitting some finesse, some drop shots, some change of pace, some chips going in, they're not as comfortable. Part of the reason is that they may have hit topspin only for too long of a time. Can you add the shot later in life? You bet you can. Is it tougher for some? Yes, it is, because you become so secure with what, feel, what feels comfortable, what feels secure, that you have some challenge adding those underspins. So the advice you should give yourself, I'm going to give it to you right now, along with you giving it to yourself, is do not be afraid to start to come under the ball. Open the face of the racket. Explore with some grips. Turn the hand halfway between a forehand and a backhand. Maybe even start to hit some backhands. Now, this is not radical. This is good, solid training stuff to hit a backhand grip on a forehand side, and you're going to force yourself to open the face and to come under the ball, and all of a sudden, you're starting to supplement your game with some underspin shots. So, Kaz, let's let's talk a little bit more about the actual application of that slice as it pertains to being offensive and 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 being able to throw our our opponents off balance and 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 relieve some pressure. I, I guess is what we're looking for. AJ was talking about uh, being able to run down shots and building his consistency. So he he's doing a lot of great work on the courts and improving his game and. And now your advice to him is, is to work on more variety of shot by, by using that slice or, or the, the underspin. So I've heard you throw out the idea of, of drop shotting. I've also heard you during our discussion talk about just throwing the slice in there as a change of pace. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about specific application um, and how he can make his opponents uncomfortable, uh, maybe even while he's playing a tough opponent that's uh, maybe pushing him around the court a little bit. Well, I think any time that you see a ball that bounces around the service line that has a bit of topspin on, the options occur. You can flatten out, you can topspin it back, or you also can go in and hit the opposite spin that's been delivered to you. And many, many times, the best time to hit a drop shot or a shot as a chip or a chop or a change of pace is when someone's hit a soft topspin in the middle of the court. That ball is most favorable to hit as a drop shot or a slice coming back. And this drop shot, the key on the drop shot is to be able to think in terms of a miniature lob. And when you ask yourself, what is the characteristic of a lob? Most people will say it's a ball that goes up and it's a ball that comes down. Well, believe it or not, that's what a drop shot is. It's a miniature form of a lob. And people are going to have better shots with the drop shot, better results with the drop shot if they get the mentality of that they're not trying to hit straight ahead as a line drive because they may spin that ball, they may underslice it, but if it's going straight ahead with a low line drive trajectory, that ball is going to carry much more deep, deeply than a ball that is arced 
that once it hits, it kind of sits down. It doesn't travel forward. So you almost have to feel what you're trying to achieve is a ball that has some arc. So it's going up, going down. Characteristics of good drop shots are soft hands, strong legs, so that you're actually in your mind attempting to hit a ball so softly that you want to see it drop on your side of the net. Now, you really don't want to do that because you're going to lose the points. But when you're practicing, you want to feel that you're trying to hit the ball so softly out of the hands that the ball goes up, but it comes down, hitting your side of the net. Well, how do you get that ball to go over? Keep the hands just as soft as they are, but widen your stance. As you go to hit that drop shot, take an extra 8, 10 inches wider stance as you hit so that the wider stance allows you to lean forward more to push the ball forward with your body, but you have the soft hands and the strong legs. The drop shots are very effective. And the trick is, and as as you know, as being a, a quality coach, once you learn one of these underspin shots on your forehand, you have them all. You have a drop volley, you have a drop shot. You have a lob volley, you have a chip return to serve. You have somebody that smashes the ball at you. Instead of trying to drive swing, you just chip it as a lob or you chip it as an underspin. So I can't tell you the, the value that one gains by learning this drop shot. And a key trick on learning underspin, I've had players go to the net, and I'll try to speak this as we're listening and not seeing it, but actually stand on the opposite side of the net than I am, place his or her racket flush against the net on the forehand, taking the arm out as far to the right for the right-hander as it'll go, and the racket cannot go forward. Once it goes forward, you drive, but the racket can go from right to left. It can go across the ball so that you get that rub-wipe effect. So as the player is stretched out far on the side, on his side of the net, I'm standing on the other side. I deliver a ball, an underhand toss, that bounces perhaps four or five feet in front of the net. As soon as that ball hits the net, he gets the sensation that he's rubbing and wiping across the net. And all of a sudden, the player starts to get the identity that it's not a hit, it's a rub, it's a wipe. You're starting to sweep across the ball. And you get that shot, you learn all types of chips. You learn how to hit inside the ball and veer the ball out to the side. You learn how to hit behind the ball, and throw it up for a drop shot. You learn how to chip and charge behind a second serve or a short ball that's hit that you're starting to approach the net. And here's the beauty. You add these drop shots, these shots are going to continue to get better all your life. Now, I know I'm on record tonight, but I'll go on (laughs) record and I'll say this, Ian. There is no way in heaven or hell that I can hit the ground strokes or the serve as hard as Federer or Roddick, or any of them. No way. You know that. Maybe you can't either. But I will tell you this. Can I hit the drop shots as well as they do? Can I hit the spins as well as they can on the approaches? I would say I can, because these shots don't acquire power. They acquire finesse. And these are shots that are going to stay with you for life. And many times, as you age, and we all do playing tennis, and all of a sudden, you're out of the 35s, you're approaching the 50s, and you want the specialty shots to be able to terminate the point, and that's where some offense comes without having the power. 
Great stuff, Kaz. And, oh, you're, uh, you're so kind. Thank you. <laughs> I, I've got. I've got to admit to you. I. I would have come at this from a from a different direction. Uh, I. I definitely would have. I. I guess I'm more more of a student of the the more modern uh, style of play than uh, styles. Nothing styles wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> How, however, Sem- I do appreciate the, these touch shots that you're talking about, and, and they're a big part of my game. And so I, I definitely enjoy hearing you talk about. And, and I agree with you. Once you learn one type of this type of this type of soft uh, finesse type shot, so many different options become available. That, that's absolutely true. Well, uh, let's touch a bit on the power. And uh, the key is to be able to generate power when someone has not given power to you. Sure. We'll go into a, a bit of stroke production. And there must be some reason why 95 plus percent, maybe closer to 99 percent, take a circular backswing on their backswing on the forehand and many on the backhand because they can generate pace off of a slower ball. Most times, the most difficult for everybody is to generate pace when the pace isn't given to you. And I think if a lot of players start to try, number one, keep the footwork continuous, and it may mean three, four steps going nowhere. The footwork is continuous, and the backswing is continuous. And the mentality that you want to have when trying to generate power is to feel that you have a slow start, maybe at 10 miles an hour. It's increasing to 20 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, as your racket goes to hit the ball, your racket is moving at a 30-mile-plus speed. So it's a slow start, let it build up, and then a fast finish. When one tries to hit power and generates it from the initial part of the swing, one has a tendency, and there's a strong propensity to get a bit more muscular than you can afford to be and still hit a a powerful shot. Most of the power from the top players comes from racket head acceleration. Much better chance of getting that racket head acceleration by starting slowly in the beginning, allowing the racket head to speed up. And I think that all our players at a 3-5, all our players even at a start-off 2-0 are going to be better with a more conventional and we call it conventional because it's been around lo- longer than your age and my age, and that's close to 100 combined, <laughs> over 100 years of a circular backswing. But it's very vogue today because they know the advantage of keeping the backswing continuous. So the folks and the tennis fans that want to add power, explore with the circular backswing. And one of the tricks in the circular backswing, instead of going straight back, initially take it slightly up. So it's slightly up, back, and around. So there is a, a flow, a loop. Almost feel that you're trying to trace a backward letter of a C on a blackboard, that it's up, back, and around, and slow start, fast finish. I think the other, to get power, there's nothing wrong with getting the confidence on a short ball to move in, to side shuffle in, to skip in, to karaoke step in, but you're moving in and actually get the legs low, and as you hit it, come off the ground. I can't tell you what kind of confidence that builds. That is a confidence maker right there, is to actually jump up as you hit that ball so that you have the confidence and the trust that you're not holding back. Are you working hard? Not so hard out of the arm. You're starting to use 
rocket head speed, but you're also getting tremendous leg lift into the shots. I, I but but I've got a comment. You talked about today's game. Mm-hmm. I've not figured out the male dog around the fire hydrant on the backhand. Now some players lift the back foot and jump, and I know that's for power. Perhaps you can touch on that, Ian. That uh, you see a lot of that, where the back foot actually comes up to add some power and jumping along with it. Are you uh, are you talking about more a forehand or backhand stroke or both? I'm seeing it a bit more on the backhand. I don't know if it's more suited on the two-handed side versus the one-handed side, but there's it reminds me of a male dog hanging around a fire <laughs> hydrant and a bit of a leg lift coming up with it. Yeah, I, I can definitely picture what you're talking about, and I, I kind of associate that with what you were describing a, a second ago having to do with uh, kind of a, a, a hop skip or, or a jump uh, moving into a shorter shot where, where a player is, is trying to hit a little bit more aggressively. And I think the, the lifting up of that back leg is something that just kind of happens naturally for a lot of players who are trying to transfer their body weight around and into a shot, uh, kind of leaning forwards into the court as they make contact. I, I think that's probably, um, the, the back leg lifting is probably a result of a good transfer forwards a lot of times. You know what I used to do in, in the past is to have a 12-inch high platform out there, wide enough that you could have both feet stand on it. So you're, picture this in your mind. You're mm-hmm. standing on this 12-inch high platform. I give you the ball to your backhand where it's out in front and tell you to jump higher than where you're standing off of that platform so you're a good 24, 26 inches into the air as you're hitting that. And that really gives you the sensation of not being afraid to come off the ground and really attack the ball. Plus, for a lot of players, that builds another dimension of coordination in their game. Coordination is, is brought out multiple ways the more you can jump in any sport and the more you can jump and leap in tennis, you're supplementing that coordination. And you're bringing coordination out of some players that may have not had that athletic coordinated movement. I've just got one more question for you, Kaz, before we wrap Absolutely. things up. And, uh, of course, the, uh, time has flown by uh, during our conversation here. We're, in fact, we're already over time, but I, I'm really curious to hear your, your comments on, on one more question I have. Um, so, so we started off our discussion with AJ's question, uh, and, and he, w- he wanted to figure out how to keep away from being so defensive during his match play. And, and you started off the conversation discussing you know, the use of slice, uh, being able to throw his opponent off balance, uh, put in a change of pace, and, and regain control of the points. Um, you also just talked about the addition of some more power by using more of a circular backswing, um, also using the legs more uh, to, to propel the body forwards, especially on short balls. So uh, what I'm curious about, let's kind of try to bring this all together a little bit. How, how can AJ and the rest of my listeners tell which one is more important for them right now? In, in other words, are there symptoms during their match play when they lose matches that more touch and finesse and variety would be a bigger uh, benefit for them to develop? Or uh, are there also symptoms where uh, adding more power is probably what they need to be able to really make it to the next level? That is absolutely a superb and a great question. And I'm going to spin it this way. You're an accomplished teaching professional. When you go out to play some 3-5 players, you can actually beat them 
by ball placement, by some chips, some change of pace, some change of spins, some drop shots, some lobs. Are you overpowering them with your offense? No, you're just using an all-court game. So uh, along with adding power, and I'm not, be, I'm not against that at all, but I think that it's just as important, and I'm, uh, I'm holding st- fast on the steadfast on the fact <laughs> you want to supplement all the shots because sure. you can become one-dimensional and only have excessive topspin, and you're losing out in, in a myriad of other areas, flattening out, changing speed, coming under it, lob, lobbing uh, as an a, a underspin ball, drop shotting, drop volleys, and I think that it's it's important that they supplement the power game with some change of pace. And the, the question was not so much how they're getting power, but how could they add more offense? And when I saw that question without adding more power, how can I add more offense? I was very excited to take it first or take it in a, an area where we didn't talk power. We talked about finesse and using all-court tennis. So... Uh, I would still open that same talk the same way, Andy. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for your thoughts today. It's, it's been great to have you back on the podcast. And before we, we send you off, can you please tell my listeners where they can find you online? I know that you're doing some uh, some projects with a, with a website, correct? We are. The website is IndieTennis.com. And Indy is spelled I-N-D-I-E. Tennis, T-E-N-N-I-S dot com. We just did a, a great resort review in your area on Sea Colony down in Bethany Beach. And we uh, did an extensive program seven days of day after post at the National Spring Championships down in Mobile. We'll certainly be in New York doing a number of things at the U.S. Open. So it's IndieTennis.com. And I'm doing some things with tennisballs.com and that tennis is 10s b a l l s.com and those are some interviews that we uh, pick up that are not always in videotape but they're audio mp3s that are on 10sballs.com okay all right so there you go guys go check it out indietennis.com and tennisballs.com Go check out the Kaz's other uh, materials. Kaz, thank you very much for spending time with me and for answering AJ's question. I I really appreciate it, and I know my listeners are going to enjoy today's show. Uh, So thank you for your time. The pleasure is mine. And tennis fans, remember, in tennis scoring, love means nothing. But love of the game means everything. You keep alive your love of the game. Love you, tennis fans. Love you, too, Andy. And love you, too. Ian, thanks for having me on. That does it for episode number 122 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me on today's show, and I hope it was interesting, entertaining, and instructional for you. Hopefully it gave you a couple of new ideas about how you can develop some offense in your tennis game. And if today's show is helpful, check out the archives. Go to EssentialTennis.com and go to Podcast and then Archives, and you can access all... 122 episodes of the podcast, which is, I I need to sit down and add it up, but it's something like 60 or 70 hours worth of instruction now. 
And I, we're actually working on reworking that section of the, the website. In the near future, you guys will be able to browse by category and topic and it'll, it'll be more convenient in the near future. But it's free to access. All you have to do is sign up for the free Essential Tennis newsletter. And that's it. So go check it out. All right, that does it for this week. Thanks very much for tuning in. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.